We appreciate Gary's energy because I needed to sap off some of that on myself. Uh, the last couple of weeks has not been an easy time for me physically and emotionally, uh, mainly because I've had the flu. And man, it just feels like you've been hit by a truck. I know some of you have been sick with it too. And so Julia's home right now. I passed it on to her, of course. And so she's, she's, just, it's, she's just worn out right now. Was, um, Kyra was asking about her. And uh, so you, I know I'm not the only one. So thank you, Gary, for giving us some, uh, some energy to, to go on. You know, we're, we're in our New Year's, as we all know. And, you know, when you come to a, a new year, there's, there's always a time for reflection. When you're looking back over the past, looking at what, you've, um, what has gone on, uh, evaluating the year, looking forward to, to the, the new year and changes that, could, that may be made, plans. You know, some do it formally. Some sit down and maybe some of you sat down and actually wrote down some goals and plans and ideas that you have for the future and some of us who are older and tireder just <laughs> we just look at it and and say you know there there's some things I want to do you know one of the things that that I personally have thought about and 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 Julia will rejoice when she hears this is I just want to get rid of some stuff you know <laughs> I have I have a lot of stuff and it's you know things uh, like like rocks my, my kids have given me, literally. Uh, you know, and I have books and things that, you know, I, I don't use a lot. And I thought, you know, it might be a time to start cleaning out a little bit. But I didn't write it down, so I didn't commit myself to it. So, you know, but, uh, you know, we're just, we look at ourselves, we want to improve. I think Christians, we look at our lives, we really want to improve. We want to grow. And we are in a constant state of improvement, whether we realize it or not. Uh, as we look at the scriptures, as we evaluate our lives, as we compare ourselves to the love of Christ, we're motivated by His Spirit and by His love to transform our lives. We see things in our own personal lives we want to change, that we're not satisfied with, that we want to grow in. And God gives us direction. He empowers us through His Spirit to change. Uh, but at the same time, this is this this um, uh, I don't know how to describe. It. There's the, where God is working in our lives, but at the same time we're working. But we're not relying on our own power in that work. We're relying on God's power to make these changes in our lives. So it's this balance of totally relying on God to change us without, but at the same time cooperating with him and working with him to make those changes. And I, we want to look at James chapter 4 today, and you, we're going to see some practical tools on how we can change our state of affairs. You know, I look at my life and I think of things that I would like to change. What, what's... What's my state of affair right now? How am, I going to want, how am I going to improve my life? How am I going to grow and be more like Christ? And so James here gives us six tools to improve our state of affairs. Let's read this together. James chapter 4. 
And we're going to read verses 6 through 10. It's very short. But he says, but he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. <clears throat> so, as we look at this, <coughs> excuse me, and as we first look at it, it seems kind of like a, a downer. A lot of, you know... Uh, you know, things for us to do here that just seem a little bit like grieving and mourning and wailing. What are we, what are we talking about here? The first thing you have to do is look at it in the context. And the context, the proper context here, let me make sure I have, is something I've talked about a lot with you, is how we look at the world around us, how we view the world. And in uh, verse 4, he gives us this... this um, the proper worldview here where he says friendship with the world is enmity with God. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. How we look at the world, how we think how we think is based on how we look at the world around us. And I think he's saying here, Christians need to realize that we should not be fooled by the niceness of the world. It's a trick for us to cozy up to the world. You know, the, and what I mean by that is the world system, the way the world operates. Uh, the way we approach the world. The world is temporary. Not only the physical world, but just the things of the world are temporary. Its uh, pleasures are fleeting. Relationship with God is the only thing that's permanent and of lasting value. So he says, when you look at the world, just realize that it's temporary. That this is not permanent. That the relationship that we have with God is the only thing that's permanent. God has an exclusive and jealous desire for our relationship. Verse 5 talks about that where he says, Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he causes to live in us envies intensely? And that's kind of a difficult passage. But I think what he's saying here is that God's relationship with us, he doesn't want to share you with the world. He's like a husband or a wife who guards the affection of his spouse or her spouse. Does not want to share with, a husband doesn't share his wife with other men. And a wife doesn't share her husband with other women. And he says, God does not want to share you with the world. He guards his affections towards us. And we can see this all throughout the scriptures. And there's a tendency in us toward what God has caused in the Old Testament and here in the New Testament spiritual adultery there's this tendency for divided loyalty we're tempted by the world we it's something we all struggle with when we go out in the world and we see the beauty of the world the the the, the desires of the world the the things of the world and it draws us toward it into this situation that god calls is called spiritual adultery and so he gives us 10 
commands or ten imperatives or ten directions here starting in verse 7 and they're in a tense that means you need to look at these you need to make a deliberate and you need to make a determined decision of what you're going to do you need to look at the world around you and you need to see and compare yourself to it and see what do I need to change here each one of these 10 things that we're going to look at very briefly, we, we need, each person needs to look at and say, is this something I need to work on? Is this something I need to change? Is this something I'm struggling with right, right now? And what do I need to do? What are some ways that we can protect ourselves from moving away from God? What are some ways we can improve our state of affairs? The very first one is to learn to rely on the grace of God. This is recognizing our true state. What's our true state as Christians? We realize that I'm a weak person. I have to rely on God's grace. If it wasn't for God's grace in my life, then my life would be a disaster. I need to rely on God's grace. And it takes humility to recognize that I have to rely on, his, on God's grace in, to be faithful. It's not in my own power, my own strength, or my own goodness, but it's His grace. And that's why it takes a humble attitude. He says, verse 6, but He gives us more grace. That is why in the Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. One man said it this way, Lord, make me humble, but don't let me know it. And if you think about it, about the time that we realize our humility is when we lose our humility. We become proud that we're humble people. And so God, God says, God, you know, the, the question is, how am I to be a humble person without being proud about my uh, humility? And it comes by not doing it. I don't try to be a humble person. Humility comes by recognizing my weakness and then relying on God's strength. It's not that I'm going to try hard to be humble. It's that I just look at myself and I realize I am a weak person. I have this tendency toward adultery, to, to move away from uh, God, to drift away from Him. This is my natural tendency. And when I realize that, that's when I rely on His strength and His, uh, and, and, and his power. It says God gives, and this means he continually gives, not just at salvation, but all through our lives is something that he continually gives. Some, sometimes I think we think, well, we get God's grace at this point in our life, we're saved, and then we have to work hard. Well, no, God gives us his grace, and he gives us it more and more and more so that we can live our lives the way we need to live it. God is not out to get us. But he's out to give us more and more grace. And the world continually pulls us away from God. If it wasn't for his continued grace and his help, we just couldn't make it. So let's start looking at these commands, these imperatives that he says. Things that will help us in our state of affairs. The first thing he says, he says, submit yourself to God. Just the first part of that verse, verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. <clears throat> remember these commands are, are telling us we need to look at our lives, see if we're doing these things, 
and make deliberate and determined decisions. I have to ask myself the question, have I been submitting myself to God? In what ways do I need to change this in my life? And each person will answer that in a different way. You need to look at your own life and say, have I been submitting myself to God? And this submit, submission means I yield my rights. I realize that I rank under God. And therefore, I'm going to recognize that God's way is the best way. Whatever God says is the best way. And so I'm going to submit to what he has to say. I like to think of this giving of God's grace as just swimming in his grace living in his grace, totally turning my life over to him. You tell me what you want me to give up, God. You tell me what I need to change in my life, where to go, what I should be doing, what direction I should go. And I'm not talking about mysterious, you know, something in a dream or the, or the night. I'm talking about just reading the, the word and letting it convict my heart of what I need to do or what I don't need to be doing. And that takes us to the next one where he says, resist the devil. The second uh, command here. This resistance isn't just futile resistance, but it's powerful resistance. Both of these terms are military terms where he says, submit. That means I rank under God. It's a military term. And this one also is a military term where he says, resist or strongly oppose an, oppo uh, an opponent. It's like a two-sided coin here. You're, you're doing both at the same time. You're submitting and saying, God, what do you want me to do? But at the same time, you're saying no to what Satan is call, uh, calling you to do. Satan is basically a bully. <coughs> and when we resist a bully, you'll find him to be a coward. It's not to, to diminish his cunning and crafty and, dis, and his destructive ways. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Let me read over, uh, get over there and read that to you. He says... And it's very similar to this James passage. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith. And so he says, I want you to have self-control. And this word self-control here means I need you to think clearly, judge clearly, be free from being fooled in the illusions of the world around you. Think clearly. And so as we walk through the world, we're going to, the, Satan's going to try and fool us. And he says, think clearly. Think, uh, think uh, with, with a good mind here and resist what he, what he offers you. The world is not nice. The enemy is out to destroy you. Satan doesn't know how to handle resistance, it says here. Especially if a man or a woman is submissive to God, it says, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee. Fourth, he says, come near to God. Examine yourself again. Are you doing this? Is this something I need to do? Is this something I need to change in my life? Don't think that this coming near means that God is far away, that God has left us, and that we've got to find him somewhere out there. God is here. God is with us. God lives within us. But emotionally, spiritually, we all know this feeling, a feeling that we're far away from God, even though he's right here with us. Jonah tried to run away from God. He got in a boat thinking he'd get far away from God. God was always with him. 
He couldn't get away from God. And this drawing near is not in, I'm trying to become a more righteous person, but I am learning how to live righteously. How do I do this? How do I draw near to God? It comes from the other two things. I submit and I resist. When I submit to God's instructions, when I resist the devil, I'll draw near to God. I like to give the illustration this way. You can live in the same house with someone, and yet you can say, I'm very far from that person. I don't feel close to that person. I mentioned that Julie and I have both been sick. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've hardly talked to each other. And we're not mad at one another. We're just both sick. We just don't feel good. And so we're sleeping in different rooms because we're both coughing or, you know, and not doing well. And then we walk through the house. And, you know, after about a week of that, I feel like she's mad at me. <laughs> I do. I feel like she's upset with me. So what do I do? I walk up to her when she's up and I put my arms around her and I say, you know, I still love you. I still care for you. I wish I could make you feel better. I don't know, it makes me feel better just to be able to tell her that I care for her still because I don't feel close to her because I haven't been communicating with her. In the same way, we come near to God. If, are we communicating with God? Are we talking to God? Are we reading his word? Are we, are, are we, do we have this back and forth with God? Because if we are, that's how we come close to God. We say, this is what I need to change in my life. This is an attitude in my life that I need to change. Do what's right. Live right. And you'll have such a relationship with God that you can say, I'm near you. I've drawn close to you. And fifth, clean up your act. Verse 8 um, says this. He says, Wash your, uh, come near to God. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Clean up your act, he says. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts of the two commands. When I think of this particular command, I think of the story of Jesus when he washed the disciples' feet. Most of you know it. You can if you don't know it, you can go over to uh, John chapter 13, I believe, and read it. Jesus comes and he begins to wash all the disciples' feet. Do you remember what happened when he came to Peter? came to Peter and Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet. And I, I really understand that because, you know, how embarrassing is it that you've been arguing and fighting and then suddenly your master comes and he starts washing your feet and he says, don't wash my feet. Jesus says to him, if you don't let me wash your feet, then I'm, I'm, you're going to have nothing to do with me. And so Peter, typical of him, says, well, in that case, give me a bath. <laughs> and Jesus said, you don't need a bath, just your feet need to be washed. And think of what he's saying is this. He says, you're, you're, we're, we're purified in the blood of the Lamb. Our sins have been washed away. We are cleansed by his, his forgiveness. All that's true, but as we walk through the life, you and I both know how this works. We get our hands dirty. Hands uh, signify deeds, the things that we do. We look at our life and we see some of the things we're doing, we go, you know, that's just not right. Our feet get dirty. And so James here and Jesus and, and, uh, and the Gospel of John says, 
you know, you just need to be constantly washing your hands. Isn't that true with the flu going around? We always say, well, wash your hands, you know, because we want to get rid of those germs. We don't want to get, we don't want to get sick. And so he says here, you need to continually look at your life. You need to have this constant state of, uh, of repentance. You need to be looking at things and seeing what needs to be changed. We have this, this double-minded heart, he says. Our heart thoughts need to be purified. We tend to be double-minded. And he says, you need to purify yourselves. Our hearts are distracted. We're pulled by the temptations of the world. We often get involved in things that we don't need to be doing. We just need to wash our hands of those things. Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 alludes to this. He says, sow for yourself righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. And I like this. And break up your unplowed ground. For it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. This is what I think this purifying is. It just, you just need to break up that unplowed ground. You need to have a soft heart toward God. And then next he says, don't make light of sin. Verse 9, he, he has four things here. Grieve, mourn, well, change. Those are the four commands. And there's different degrees of repentance. There's this washing up that we talked about in, this, in the last part. But here is a grieving, a mourning, a humbling. Reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, where he says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. These commands mean that we need to take a serious look at ourselves. Have a serious evaluation. See how we're living. Wash up what we need to wash up. Mourn over what we need to mourn over. Do we love God or do we love the world? Where's our tendency right now? Where, where are we leaning toward right now? Do we live in pride or humility? Do we drift with the world or do we fight against it? Where are you right now? Where am I right now? And if we're honest with ourselves, we find ourselves slowly turning our attention from God, slowly turning toward the world. And that's why we... God continually calls us to a life of repentance. Repentance isn't a one-time act. It's a lifestyle. I look at my life and I'm convicted. The way I acted, an attitude I had, the way I said something to someone, that this needs to change in my life. A life of repentance. This isn't saying that we need to live, be a people of gloom and doom and negative and pessimistic. But what he is saying is, take a true evaluation of your heart. See where your mind is divided or double-minded. And then our response is mourning over our sins and making those changes. He says, be miserable over your sinful condition. You know, when I look at the weaknesses, I thought by the time I was 60, I would have a, I would have a handle on so many things that I still struggle with. And we should mourn over that, that I'm, I'm not the person that I want to be. We mourn and weep when we see the result of sin in our lives. And that's not talking about an outward show. This is not talking about walking around with a cloud over our heads. It's just talking about I need to evaluate my heart. I need to have true repentance and continual repentance. It means that we're forever relying on the grace of God. 
knowing our sinful condition and our tendencies. And that's why in verse 10 he says this last command. He says, humble yourself before God and he will lift you up. It's kind of a bookend here. The first part, verse 6, he talks about humbling ourselves. And then the last, in verse 10 here, he says, humble ourselves. And it's only when we walk through life in humility that we're truly great. When we exalt ourselves, we have a false view of ourselves. When we recognize our weaknesses and our sins, we then recognize the need to forever rely on God's grace and his forgiveness. Our focus is on him. Our power is on the spirit within us, molding us, changing us, enlightening us, and strengthening us. A man had been elected to the British Parliament, and he brought his family to London to show them around. And one of the places they went was Westminster Cathedral. And it's a huge building. It's a beautiful building. This hardly represents it at all. And they walk in, and he had an eight-year-old daughter, and she just seemed to be awed by the size and the beauty of it. And she's sitting there looking up at it and gazing around at the magnificent structure. And her proud father was curious about what was going on in her mind and said, so what are you thinking of? And she said, Daddy, I was just thinking how big you are in our house, but how small you look here. <laughs> and that's really what it should be. You know, in our own house, we think we're big stuff. But we really need to be comparing ourselves to God, not our stuff compare ourselves to who God is and that's where true humility comes in that's when I can take these commands here these imperatives here and say you know have I been really submitting myself to God or have I been doing what I want have I been really resisting Satan or have I been toying with the things that he presents to me have I been in his word and studying it so I can draw near to him? Have I looked at the little things that I'm doing in my life? Am I washing my hands, clean, cleansing my heart? Do I truly grieve and mourn and wail over the sinful condition that I'm in? And the only way I can do that is if I have true humility. And the only way I can have true humility is when I compare myself to God and not others. We're going to offer an invitation. Uh, Gary's going to come up here in a moment, and our elders will too. And as I come to this new year, you know, there's things that I want to change in my life. And I hope there's things that you want to change in your life. And sometimes we just need each other to, to pray with, to talk to, to get instruction from. And sometimes you need to do that in a public way. And so we always offer an invitation for people who want to come forward, ask the elders for particular prayers. But if not, I always encourage us, you know, during the week, when you're with your fellow brothers and sisters, that's the time where you can really draw strength. That's the time where you can really get direction. But if we can help you today in a public way, we ask you to come as we stand and sing.